you have your Bibles, please open it to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we will be studying from verse 1 to 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself, and behold, it was futility. I said of laughter, it is madness, and of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves, and I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desire, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun." most commonly asked question in life is this. Is there life after death? Every worldview, every religion attempts to answer this question in various ways. Things that you can do in this life, things that you need to experience, things that you need to possess. They try to do all of these things to try to make us answer what is there life after death? But the book of Ecclesiastes does something different with this question. Instead of asking, is there life after death, Solomon asks, is there even life before death? Is there even life before death? Can anyone find purpose, meaning, satisfaction, or fulfillment in this life? And if we can't, then what is the purpose of living? Our world and culture is desperate in trying to find meaning in every avenue and every crevice of life. And in the end, they always fail. Some believe life is all about knowledge and experience. All of the world's mindset, path, and destination are all empty and vain because it is without God. 
The things that we enjoy in this life, for the most part, aren't actually evil. Most of the things that we pursue in life are actually pretty good. Things like education, work, family, friends, or children, or whatever in your life that you want to pursue, these things are are actually not evil. But these things can become evil the moment we make them as gods and we bow our knees to them. Without God, all that we do in this life is completely useless and meaningless. This book is written by Solomon, and he calls himself the preacher. That's what Ecclesiastes means. It means the preacher or the teacher. And throughout this entire book, he's trying to teach us something. He's trying to teach us that you cannot find meaning without God. Solomon, in his life, attempted to do all that a person can possibly do in this life to find meaning And yet, he finds none without the Lord. Notice as I read through these 11 verses, the word I or myself is used multiple times. In fact, it was used 20 times in this section. And he did all of these things by himself and for himself. There was no one that experienced it for him. And attempted to teach Solomon. There wasn't anyone that that went through all of these experiences, wrote it down, and read it to Solomon. In other words, Solomon did not have the book of Ecclesiastes. Rather, Solomon had first-hand experience on every pleasure there is under the sun. Solomon went all out. There was no one that went as hard as he did in his pursuits of pleasure. And there was nothing that slowed Solomon down. He threw himself into every pleasure possible under the sun. Solomon was a man that started off well and he fell horribly in the middle of his life. Uh, he, he became prominent because the Lord asked him what he wanted. He wanted wisdom. He wanted wisdom to discern good and evil, to to, to rule over the people of Israel well. And he did that for a while. But in the middle of the life, middle of his life, he turned away from the Lord. In fact, I would argue most of Ecclesiastes was just a summary of what happened during that time when his heart was turned away. And at the end of his life, he's writing this to warn his sons about his mistake, how he wasted his life. I wonder how many of you are trying to pursue the same things that Solomon tried to pursue. He tried to, are you trying to pursue life without God? Because if you do, you will arrive at the same conclusion. The life is meaningless without God. You can't find meaning in any area of your life without the Lord. I stated in my last message, Solomon has... He did the hard work for us. He did all the heavy lifting so that we have a right perspective in our pursuit of the things in this world. But if a person attempts to pursue anything without God, it will only lead to emptiness. In a world that is filled with broken promises, disappointments, frustrations, and regret, the only way that we can find hope is that we fix our eyes onto God and pursue everything with God And with God being the center of it. My proposition for us is this. That you will not be able to find meaning or lasting satisfaction in the following ways. There are five points that that I want to go over with us. The first is that you cannot find ultimate meaning in the pursuit of amusement. You cannot find ultimate meaning in the pursuit of amusement. Verse 1 and 2. 
Notice verse 1. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it was to, it was, it too was futility. Solomon states here that he told himself to pursue all pleasures that can be found in this world. The hedonistic lifestyle that Solomon pursued did not bring him any lasting satisfaction or meaning. He said to himself, come now. It's a charge. It's an imperative. Solomon, as king, gave authority to tell himself to enjoy all that there is in this life. Solomon attempted to invest his time, his energy, and life onto pleasure to see if there are any returns. This word pleasure can be translated as as joy or gladness or jubilation. Solomon attempted to spend his entire life pursuing pleasure, and he realizes that these things are pointless. The the implication here when he says, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself, it's, it's him basically saying, go all out. Don't worry about the consequences. Go all in. Hold nothing back. And that's what he did. He wanted to find meaning and pleasure, and he went all out for it. Verse 2, I said, of laughter, it is madness and of pleasure. What does it accomplish? He tried to find meaning and pleasure through laughter, only realizing at the very end, it did not give him any answers to his life's problems. He couldn't find meaning in humor. What is interesting is that in Proverbs 14, 13, which is another passage of scripture that he wrote, he writes this, Even in laughter the heart may be in pain, and the end of joy may be grief. Why are we drawn to amusements? It's because we want to be happy. There's a French philosopher by name, his last name is Pascal, he, he said this about, about happiness. Happiness is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. We are all driven or enslaved by our own passions. Sinful passions of amusements is at its heart a desire to seek for pleasure, and pleasure-seeking is often a selfish endeavor. And selfishness destroys true and lasting joy. Billy Graham in his book, Peace with God, speaks about this patient that was depressed. This was a person that was depressed and he decided to go to psychiatry to find answers, to figure out why he's depressed. And this patient went in there and he was, you know how psychiatry go, they ask a whole bunch of questions and try to decipher where this depression comes from. And after this first initial session that lasted a few hours, the doctor did not reach any conclusion. Uh, he said, well, we couldn't figure it out now, but th- these things take time. So why won't you just come back next time? But before then, there's this comedy club nearby and you should totally go to him. You should go to him and listen to him talk because he was a very funny guy and everyone in town is saying uh, he's hilarious and a whole bunch of people were just busting out laughing and, and this is what the doctor advised. And the patient was like, okay, thanks. But as he left, about to leave the room, as he reached the door, he told the doctor that he was that comedian. There is nothing, there is nothing inherently wrong with fun or even in enjoying the things that this world has to offer. But the person who commits their life 
for amusements or fun are really seeking a life of disappointments. A life of pursuing amusement will inevitably lead to diminishing returns. Eventually, there will be no more amusements, and the only thing left is enslavement. If amusement is what you cherish, the result is emptiness. Amusement thrives on the soil of discontentment. If you want to overcome this, then you must strive to be content in your life. Now, is it wrong to be amused or pursue these things? Not inherently. But instead of asking yourself, can I, can I pursue the things that amuse me? Perhaps a better question is, can you live life without these things? Solomon had all the fun that this life had to offer, but in the end, he felt empty. And so it is with you if you devote your entire life in pursuing amusements in your life. How can we honor God with things that amuse us? We have to be intentional. We need to pursue the attributes, the, the activities with God being at the center of it. A mature, godly believer knows how to leverage the amount of time and activity to glorify God. For example, if you are a parent and you're taking care of your kids, these silly things that you do with your kids, these amusements for your kids and for yourself, you can do that because you can do it for the glory of God when you use the bond with your child. If you are with your spouse and you do some activity together, you use it so you can study each other, so you can learn more about each other, so you can serve one another better. If you're hanging out with your friends or family, anytime that you do anything fun with one another, you need to be intentional. You need to see how I can, how can I grow in my knowledge of this other person so that I can serve them. But all the fun moments that you have, it should not end at that moment. But it should cause you to love God more deeply because He's the one who gave you those people as well as activities for you to enjoy. So enjoy the life that God gave you and love God more because of how good he is. Enjoy this world because God made this world and it is good. Enjoy this world because God made this world and the people on this planet. But enjoy not simply delighting your time with these people, but rather it should cause you to have a deeper relationship with God who created everything on this earth. Every form of delight that you get from any amusement should cause you to be a greater worshiper of him. Not only can you not find ultimate meaning in the pursuit of amusement, but a person cannot find lasting purpose in the pursuits of detachments. Our second point, the pursuit of detachments. Verse 3. And by detachments, I, I mean anything that you consume or partake in that disconnects you from reality. Detachments are anything that gets you disengaged with the real world, whereas amusements are usually pursuits of things in this world. Detachment strives to get you out of this world. Notice verse 3. I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind is guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. Solomon attempted to pursue these things through detachments uh, from reality. He, he tries to uh, he begins this quest by drinking wine so that he can hopefully learn all that there is to learn about folly. He is on this dual quest, one with his body and one with his mind. He was hoping to experience enough intoxication to experience the full profundities of folly and arrive at discernment. Solomon wanted to feel the effects of alcohol, 
and to see if he can arrive at the meaning of life. He wanted to experience a level of buzz to find happiness. The reason why Solomon did all of these things is because he wanted to find a way to escape. Solomon's aim is to escape, to become detached to reality. Solomon, for a moment in his life, wants to escape from the reality of a fallen world. And the best way that he can is through drinking. He attempts to find meaning outside of reality. But all that is not possible, and everything that he did was futile. I've referenced this book in the past. Uh, There's a book called Brave New World, and I read this when I was in college. And in this book, there is this thing, this drug, really, it's called Soma. And the point of this is that in the context of this book, there's this, all these people, uh, they weren't able to deal with hardship in life. They were not able to deal with emotional stress. So they gave all the citizens these little drugs called Soma for, it's designed for them to not think about difficult things. And there's one scene toward the end of the book where a guy commits some heinous sin and he doesn't know how to cope with that. So he decides to go and attack someone else. And a crowd begins to draw and they start watching this person beat up this other individual. And when that whole thing was over, instead of contemplating what they just saw as something evil, they all decided as a mass, as a mass of crowd of people decided to take this drug together. They wanted to silence their conscience with pleasure. And this is a theme throughout this entire book, that they wanted to drown out pain with pleasure. And what is interesting is this is our world now. Our world desperately tries to silence their own conscience because reality is too stressful or is too much to handle. And there's a, there's a reason why so many people are fascinated with TV shows and movies and games and books or even social media because it draws people away from reality. It makes them not deal with real life. Again, am I saying these things are wrong? Not inherently. But if you do these things, if you pursue your detachment as a way to shield yourself from what God has intended you to do, you're going to find that your life is meaningless. Are you faithful with your commitments? Or are you wasting your time with your detachments? Do you find yourself wanting to deal with fantasy than reality? Now, why can't people find meaning in their detachments? Because in the end, every detachment will come to an end. Detachments make you not want to deal with reality. Life is filled with problems. It is hard. But detachments doesn't solve anything. We generally like detachment because we don't want to deal with our own problems. Instead, we watch characters on a TV screen or celebrities on a TV screen so that we can watch them deal with their problems. We watch them deal with their problems so we don't have to because there are no real consequences and we're watching someone else live out their lives. We like that because it gives us a false sense of security. But when the credit rolls, when the game is over, when the pages run out, Reality sets in. And when those moments come, you can't help but feel miserable because your problems are still there. Escapism or detachment will not have any ability to give you lasting joy. And as Christians, we can't be detached to the things of this world if we are attached to our detachments. 
We can't be detached to the things of this world if we are attached to our detachments. We are made to live in the real world. We are made to build real relationships. We are made to deal with real problems. And the only way for us to do that is if we look to a real person, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the solution? How can we guard ourselves from pursuing detachments? We have to engage reality. God designed humans to work in the real world. When God created Adam, he gave him a mandate to subdue the earth, to have dominion over the world, to do something real that gives real results. And in order to do that, you need to have a sober, you need to be sober-minded. Ephesians 5.18 tells us not to be filled with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 1.13, Peter writes, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix your mind on Christ. Saturate it with truth and then engage reality. Because detachment corrodes the reason why you exist in this world. Not only can you not find meaning in the pursuit of amusements or detachments, but thirdly, you cannot find ultimate meaning in your pursuit of success. Our third point, the pursuit of success. Verse 4, I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. Solomon shifted now, now shifts to now to speaking about building upon his success. He speaks of his pursuits and the grandiose achievements that he's accomplished in life. Solomon built houses, vineyards, and parks, and all of these things are actually against what God expects of a king at this time. See Deuteronomy 17 that gives the instruction of a king that he's not supposed to build his own kingdom; rather, he's supposed to build the Lord's kingdom. And as mentioned before, you notice that Solomon used the word myself and I. Solomon built all of it by himself, and he did it for himself. This is all for self-aggrandizement and for achievement. This verse here, as well as every other verse, points to the reality that all of his accomplishments and pursuits are self-centered. One of the things, that, he, interestingly, that he doesn't boast about is his work in the temple. Solomon was, designed, was designated by God to build the temple of God. And in 1 Kings, it tells us that he, he spent a, 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 a tremendous amount of time building his own house and relative to the Lord's house. He spent 13 years building his own house. Again, let's put this in perspective. The Empire State Building took one year and 45 days to accomplish. The Eiffel Tower took two years to finish. The Sears Tower took three years to finish. The Colosseum, not the one in Oakland, the one in, you know, in Europe, that one took 10 years to make. The Great Wall of China, approximately 2,000 years. So Solomon's thing wasn't as great as the Great Wall, but it was still pretty great. It took 13 years to build. But God's house, God's temple, the place that God was to dwell among his people, seven years. Solomon spent 13 years building his own house, but spent seven years building the Lord's. Solomon built not just one house, but it was plural. He had multiple houses. When I was growing up, there was a show. I don't know if it's still on right now. It's called Cribs. And some of you guys know what this show is about. It's about 
basically they just go into celebrities' homes and they see all these weird things and like just all these mansions and all the stuff that they have. Like, oh, there's a swimming pool in the master's bedroom or there's like a car in the, on the roof. There's all these weird things, just how people waste their money and stuff. But if there was this, if this camera crew went into Solomon's house, it would take multiple months to finish because Solomon had a whole bunch of houses. The question for us ourselves is this. If a person as wise as Solomon cannot find delight in the material success, then what hope is there for the rest of us? Deuteronomy 17, again, kings are not supposed to multiply great wealth for themselves. The reason why that is is because God did not want the king to be dependent on their, on their money, on their resources. But yet this is exactly what happened to Solomon. One reason his heart was turned away from the Lord was because he no longer depended on God, but he depended on his own wealth and his own abilities. Yet he forgot that everything that he had was from the Lord. And instead of using it for God, he used it on himself. This is why in the New Testament, Christ tells his disciples to not build barns for ourselves where, where people can steal and things could be lost or destroyed. Instead, Christ commands us to, to use all that we have to invest in heavenly things. And how we invest in heavenly things, either we use the money that we have, or the time we have, the, the, the resources that we have, to either edify the saints or evangelize the lost. We will use all that we have to build up the kingdom within the context of the church, or we draw people into the church. We use it for evangelism purposes. But if you use your resources on yourself, you can have joy for a little while. But those things will not, not, not last, and those things will one day burn up. Verse 5, I made gardens and parks for myself and i planted in them all kinds of fruit trees i made ponds of water for myself for which to irrigate a forest of growing trees he made for himself huge gardens this is the characteristics of of a, what a wealthy person will have or someone of nobility back in the ancient near east he had a whole bunch of fruit trees and pools to contain it again notice that he uses the phrase or the word me and myself he did all of these things by himself, for himself. Verse 7, I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. Also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all preceded me in Jerusalem. Solomon not, didn't only have a whole bunch of property, but he also had a bunch of people as well. Again, things like herds and flocks and slaves were all considered markers of a wealthy person. Solomon had all these people, all these animals, and he, he did all these things to elevate himself. He wanted to flaunt all that he had. And these people, these animals, were all under his command. How easy it is for us to be tempted to strive and then boast about our own wealth. We may not necessarily purchase expensive things all the time, but one reason why we pursue a life of success is because we want to live a life of comfort. We want to trust our wealth instead of trusting in God. We want to find our comfort in our success as opposed to finding our comfort in God. We trust in our degrees and jobs to give us security, and we forget that God is the one that gave us that, and he can take it all away. Don't trust or boast in your wealth, but instead boast in the Lord, who is the giver of all good gifts, and he's the only one that can sustain you. But why can't we find lasting meaning in, in success? 
if you want to find meaning and success, you, under, you have to understand that in order to do that, you must maintain it. You must keep working at it. Successful people have to keep working in order to stay successful. It's a type of workspace salvation. And it's endless and it's this exhausting cycle. If you keep at it, there will come a time where you realize that all that you've accomplished in life is worthless. What is the solution? How can I keep myself from striving to find meaning in success? I've mentioned this a little bit earlier. Be content. Be content. Philippians 4, Paul says that in, in every circumstance, he found the secrets of contentment. And that contentment that Paul has, whether he's in rich or poor, that's, that secret of contentment only is found in Christ. If you're always comparing yourself financially to other people or you're comparing how much other people have as opposed to what you have or, or the activities that people can enjoy that you can't enjoy, you must remember that the solution is actually not obtaining these things. Discontentment is a condition of the heart, not a, circum, not, not a circumstance. Stop being discontent. You need to be content and thankful for all that you have in life. You need to remember that you don't deserve anything except for the wrath of God. And if that reality is true in your heart and your mind, then every cent that you earn is not from you and it doesn't belong to you. And therefore, you find joy because you have Christ. God gave you what little or what abundance you have and you need to be satisfied with it. If you're not satisfied with it, you're, if you're not satisfied with what you have, you'll keep trying to pursue more and more. But no matter how much money is in your wallet or your bank account, your heart will be empty. Success in life does not give lasting meaning. Not only can we not find meaning in our amusements, our detachments, or success, but fourthly, we cannot find meaning in gratification. Our fourth point, the pursuit of gratification. You cannot find meaning in the pursuit of gratification. Verse 8, also I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubine. Solomon speaks of how much he's acquired, all the things that only wealthy people can have, all the things that only wealthy people can buy. He has it all. But not only does he have the material things, but he has the ability to indulge in any type of sexual pleasure. Solomon was a wealthy patron of his own pleasure. He indulges in all and any kind of sexual pleasure there is. 1 Kings 11, it says that he has a thousand wives and concubines. Some of them were for political purposes, and while others were probably more for just pleasure. Solomon had unhindered lust. And this again goes against Deuteronomy 17, because Deuteronomy 17 said that the king is not to have multiple wives. This is a complete disregard to God's standard in terms of marriage. He indulged in any and every immoral relationship. He sought to find meaning and in some cases paradise in his sexual pleasures. But in the end, all that he found was that he's drained and empty. There was nothing that held Solomon back. His sexual escapade only brought him low. I wonder if this is some of you. Are you guarding your heart to obey God's standard of purity? We live in a technological advanced age where Delayed gratification almost seem like a joke to people. 
fact, the secular world thinks that delayed gratification is a type of oppression. Our culture prides itself in the number of sexual encounters that one pursues. The greater the number, the greater the accolade. And some of you may not be sleeping around physically with people, but you do so in your heart, in your mind, and with your eyes. The things that you watch on your devices are just as offensive to God as someone that commits rape. Sexual sin is dangerous and is offensive to the Lord. Like any and everything, you cannot expect to find fulfillment in sexual sin. Not only, and I'm not speaking strictly to the single people here, but married people as well. You can dishonor the Lord by not pursuing purity in both your singleness and your marriage. You may think that the lust or sexual lust is is no one else's business or is harmless, but sin is sin, and sin will always lead to greater sin and bring you to misery if you let it grow. Kill sexual sin in your life and pursue pleasure that is only found in obedience to the Lord. Why can't we find meaning in the pursuit of gratification? We are not, and the reason is because we're not made for sexual sin. We're not designed for this. We're designed for something so much greater, but we settle for something far less. God designed us with with pleasure sensors not to use it to pursue sin, but pursue sex in the context of God's design. And that is between a man and a woman in marriage. God built us this way, and if we choose to violate God's standard, then sex becomes meaningless, and it separates our relationship with God. C.S. Lewis describes it this way. It would seem that our Lord finds our desire not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures looking, for about, looking about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. True gratification can only be found in the confines of God's will because that is how God intended it. You are not made for sexual sin. Hebrews 13.4 tells that you can honor and give glory to God when you pursue Sex, when you pursue sex in the context of marriage, you can honor the Lord in the confines of marriage. And in the same way for you single people, if you pursue purity in your singleness, you can glorify God in your singleness because you show the world that sex is not the chief end of man, that you find it your, your delight in Christ, that you're content, that you're joyful regardless of who you are with in this world. But you find your hope and your joy in Christ. And that gives God glory. But if you think that you can find satisfaction and meaning in sex outside of God's standard, you will be disappointed. Because when the pleasure goes, you find that you will be empty. You will find that you've robbed you robbed yourself of the joy that God has given us. So how can we overcome this? Pursue purity. Flee from sexual sin. This is what First Thessalonians 4 talks about. Job 31 verse 1 tells us that Job made a covenant with his eyes, that he didn't lust after anyone. He, he knows that his eyes are ever before the Lord. Everything that he sees, God sees. So he makes a covenant to not look after anyone with sexual desires. And this is what we need to have. We need to strive to win the battle in our own hearts. 
At the heart, we know that it's a heart issue, but that doesn't give us excuse to figure out practical ways to fight sin. You need to devote your life to holiness if you want to radically sever the ties of sexual sin. Flee from sexual sin because sexual sin will not provide or give lasting meaning. Not only can you not find ultimate meaning in your pursuit of amusements, detachment, success, or gratification, but lastly, you cannot find ultimate meaning in the pursuit of status. You cannot find lasting meaning in the pursuit of status. Our fifth point, the pursuit of status. Verse 9. Then I will become, then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. Solomon grew in stature in his position in society. He was able to achieve great things in life. <clears throat> he acquired more than anyone in the world and possibly, and really anyone until Christ returns. God blessed him with wisdom. He used it to his fullest to obtain the highest office in the land, the highest influence. And it's a position that no one will live up to until Jesus comes and reigns. His wisdom gave him ability to have influence over people. And this phrase, my wisdom also stood by me, is important because it shows us that he had a level of self-control. He handled his prosperity well, even though he seemed to have pursued everything without God. Verse 10, all that my eyes desire, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasures, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Solomon couldn't deny the fact that he did gain a level of pleasure from his work. He was able to experience temporal satisfaction because of the pedigree that he's on, but it came with a high price. This was not something that he did and he was able to achieve overnight. The verse, said that, the verse said that he did not deny himself any pleasure. However long it took him to, to feel this level of achievement and accomplishment, it took a toll on him. Yet even though he paid a heavy toll, he ended with nothing. As we see in verse 11. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind and there was no profit under the sun after all that he's done he only concluded that the best that man has to offer is all vain he recognizes the inherent pleasure that this type of lifestyle might be able to produce for a while and even value that this is this is assigned to him things that he want to pursue pursue he isn't attempting to be some sort of buzzkill but rather he's being realistic. There may be things in this life that seem good to pursue, and they are, but they can never give lasting satisfaction. All the things that he built for himself were all doomed to disappear. Why are we drawn to status? Why do we have the desire to pursue status? It's because we also love the prestige. We love that what all the things that the prestige brings. We love influence and power. There, uh, with influence power, you can direct the course of history or direct the, the lives of individuals. Some in the world are willing to compromise morally to achieve eminence and prestige. And this pursuit, this thinking that once I, love, once I reach a certain level of prestige, I will be satisfied. That is a complete lie. 
Again, this isn't just in the context of those outside the church. There are people inside the church that does this as well. Some people want to be elders, leaders, deacons, worship leaders, Bible study leaders. Any position in the church, not because they want to serve the church, but because they want to be recognized. They want to have dominion over others. They want to be served themselves. And this is a call for us to check our own hearts. If you believe that prestige is what will make you happy or fulfilled, you will feel discouraged, depressed, and distressed when those satisfaction does not come. Or if it does come, it has no lasting value. Some people in the church are driven for prestige in the church because they can't find prestige outside the church. They look, they work hard in the church so that it can be recognized. You should only want to get these positions to, to lead because you want to serve other people. Not to elevate your own pride and to fill some hole that you cannot find outside the church. Why can't a person find meaning in, this, in status? Because we're not made to be worshipped or idolized. Rather, we are designed to worship God alone. When we think about the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament, you remember the story. There was a whole bunch of people that gathered together and decided, oh, let's build this huge tower, this huge ziggurat. And the reason why they built it wasn't because it was supposed to be like a landmark in case they get lost. They could look, okay, there, that's where everyone is. No, they built the Tower of Babel so that they could be recognized and praised, not just with this generation, but for future generations. And God cursed them for it. And although in our lives we, not, we may not be making a literal tower, some of us want a pedestal for ourselves so we can be recognized and praised. How can we overcome this? How can we overcome the desire, this, this desire to, have, uh, to have status? We need to remember that our identity and our status is first and foremost found in Jesus Christ. If your identity is fixed around Christ, then you will never be disappointed. But if, if, if you'll never be disappointed if you're never recognized by your people in your church or people at work or people at school. Because you know that your identity is in Christ. You are his forever. You are his child, and no one can take that away from you. You'll do all the things in your life knowing that your faithful living is not for outcomes of, of, of people in the world, but rather you do all things to honor and please the Father. And if that is your pursuit, then you'll be joyful knowing that God is honored even when no one in this world recognizes you. Seek to find your identity in Christ who gave himself up for you so that you can enjoy this life to its fullest. At the, at the end of this, there is no answer in the pursuit of pleasures in this life. Christians understand that pleasure is designed by God to know God. This is part of his grace in our life. He made us this way to enjoy life and to know that he made us to enjoy it. So we should worship him more. The answer to the meaning of life always begins with your relationship with Christ, who created all of these things for us to enjoy. God is the chief joy He's the one that gave you these things so you can experience and be found and find happiness in him. But we can only find this in the context of the gospel. All of what Solomon is doing can be summarized as, as the gospel of selfishness. All things they've done, these are just the fruits of that. He pursued the gospel of selfishness. And you need to repent of that if this is you. You need, to you need to repent of the gospel of selfishness and turn to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Our pursuits without God will only lead to emptiness. Solomon, Solomon's experiments with everything under the sun only made him realize that he, all that he invested, has no lasting returns. There's no surplus. There's no lasting profit. There are no leftovers and no excess. All that he's done on the face of the earth proved to be vain. So it is with you. You attempt to build your life without God. If you try to pursue life without him, if you try to pursue life in your careers and your families and your schooling, your retirement, if you try to pursue anything in every area of your life without God, the end is disappointment. But when you delight in Christ, that's when you will truly begin to understand the meaning of life. Solomon's conclusion is the same, is that we need to fear the Lord. All of these things that that we pursue will find lasting meaning only after if we fear the Lord. Everything will fall into place because you know who and how to honor the Lord. You know that your life is designed to glorify Him, to give praise to Him, to worship Him. If you want to find lasting meaning, the commencement of meaning begins when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. For us as Christians, whatever we do in our life, we must remember that this is a stewardship. God has given us all of these things so that we can honor him with it. And then one day we have to give an account for it. How we spend our time and our resources is either going to, God's either going to give us heavenly rewards or we're going to lose eternal rewards for it. So pursue the things in life with God in the center so you can glorify God. This is what Christ again tells us, invest in future things. But for those of you who are not Christians, you cannot find meaning in the things that you pursue. You may be successful in life now. You may be in high prestige and wherever you are and wherever you work, but that will not give lasting meaning because without God, those things will burn. And one day, you will find yourself burning with those things. And the reason why you'll burn, not because of the pursuit of those things, but you pursued it without God, that you've lived life in sin and you died without Christ. So my hope for you, if you have not received Christ, is to receive him. The reason why we get to rejoice and live life to his fullest is because we have Christ, who gave us new life, not just uh, eternal life, but to enjoy this life as well. And if you want that, you must first acknowledge that you are a sinner, that you've sinned against him, that you've built all of these little idols in your own heart, those things that you bow down to, that, that you worship, that, that drains you. But if you want life, the only person you need to bow down to is the God of Scripture. Remember and and know that God came into the world. He lived that perfect life for us, and he died in our place. So, And he rose from from the grave three days later so that we can have eternal life. And it's not our own works, but Christ's work. We look to him. We place our absolute trust in him. And the moment we do that, that's when everything will make sense in our life. May you pursue Christ as a believer, for the glory of God. And if you're not a Christian, may you find your purpose. You can only find your purpose in Christ and in Christ alone. Let us pray. Lord, Thankful, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you've pierced us with your word in reminding us that the pursuits in life is completely meaningless without you whether it's our careers, whether it's our hobbies, whether it's family, friends, things that are neutral and are actually good, these things are meaningless without you. 
And Lord, for us who are believers, if there are ever moments in our life where we find ourselves dethroning you for these things, may you convict us of our sin. May you cause us to repent of it and pursue you first and foremost. May we desire you greater than the things of this world. Lord, for those who have not placed their faith in you, we ask that you soften their hearts, um, that you humble them the way that you humble Solomon. May we realize that all of these things are useless without you in the world, in, in the, as a center, Lord. Be with us this week uh, as we get to celebrate uh, with friends, family, and coworkers uh, of, the, of the season. Uh, may we tell them of the joy that we have. Uh, may we live life knowing that things here will perish, but what we do and how we spend our time will have eternal significance, Lord. Thank you for this time that we have. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.